Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, last week uh, we continued. We're kind of in the early stages of what will be a fairly brisk walk through the first nine chapters of the book of Acts. It's a study we're calling The Kingdom Comes, Following Christ's First Followers. And in it, we're looking at the very first followers of Jesus in an effort to understand better how you and I are supposed to live as followers of Jesus in the world today. So just to get us focused and moving, would you stand with me, please, in honor of the Word of God? Uh, We're going to read together Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and then Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and then verses 42 to 47. I'll read the plain text. If you'll join me in reading the highlighted portions, that way we'll walk through the passages together. Uh, Acts 2, beginning at verse 4. This is what the Bible says. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And dropping down to verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Last week we really stressed the fact that all of Jesus' first followers were baptized in the Holy Spirit. As the book of Acts tells us, all of them, say all of them, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit because all of them were supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That was always Jesus' plan. That every person who believes in Jesus and every person who follows Jesus be born again and filled with the Spirit of God. Changed on the inside and then led and empowered day by day by the Spirit of God. As I've said repeatedly, Jesus didn't die to get you to heaven. Jesus died to get you to God and the purpose and the plan God has for your life that you show and tell Jesus in the world. My point in sharing all of that is simply to explain that being filled with the Holy Spirit is the New Testament norm for every single follower of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if you've never asked the Lord to do that for you, you need to ask Him to do it today. And then you need to ask Him to do it every day for the rest of your life. It's part of my normal morning prayer routine, usually before I get out of bed. I pray and ask the Lord to fill me afresh 
with the Holy Spirit to lead and empower me, to help me serve Him in the world. So the simple Bible truth is the Lord wants you filled with the Holy Spirit, living out the effects of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because being filled with the Holy Spirit is meant to have major effects in your life. Science is largely built on the concept of cause and effect. Sir Isaac Newton, for example, posited that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. In other words, for every action, there is a consequence. For every cause, there is an effect. And not, by the way, always a positive one. Any of you ever been in a situation where somebody tried to make things better and they actually made them worse? Anybody? Anybody ever been responsible for one of those situations? In my experience, they typically begin with someone saying something like, don't call the plumber, I'll handle this myself. I don't know about you, you ever see the commercials for medicines they put on television now? They, they skip going to the doctor, they go straight to you. I, I can't help but wonder if some of the medicines they're advertising on television, if the consequences or the effects of those might be worse than the things they're trying to help. There's one commercial, you may see it today if you watch a football game. I, I, I uh, can't remember exactly the medicine or what it is that's supposed to help, but when they tell you the possible side effects, absolutely true. Watch, you'll see it come up on television. One of the possible side effects for this particular medicine is, uh, and I quote, new or worsening heart failure. And I'm thinking, what's worse than heart failure, right? I mean, your heart has failed. What, what could be worse than that? If suddenly it explodes, it fails, and then it explodes in your chest. I, I, that, that is a cause and effect I'd just as soon avoid. I think I'll take my chances with the disease. Thank you very much. Government officials are often among the worst at recognizing the real-world consequences of their proposals. For example, in 1992, the United States Congress mandated low-flow toilets for everyone in America. Many of you here are too young to remember way back when America was a great nation of powerhouse toilets, <laughs> when you'd push down the handle and kahoosh a mighty surge of 3.5 gallons of water would rush in and sweep away all unwanted material in one swift and glorious burst. It was beautiful. It worked beautifully. So naturally, the government wanted to fix it. They, they concluded that those highly effective toilets were using too much water, and so the low-flow toilet was born, replacing 3.5 gallons of water per flush with 1.6 gallons of water per flush, thereby forcing Americans to flush three times for every trip to the bathroom using 4.8 gallons of water while simultaneously clogging toilets and sewer systems across this once great land of ours. A classic example of the law of unintended consequences. But when it comes to the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the consequences were well thought out and carefully determined by God Himself. In God's plan, every follower of Jesus is expected to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that infilling is expected to have multiple effects in your life. For the next few minutes, I want to talk about, I want us to consider the intended consequences of being filled with the Spirit of God based on the testimony of Acts chapter 2. 
Life as God intended for you to live it. Life lived with God, life lived for God, begins with being born again. As Jesus told Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Until you surrender your life to Jesus and ask him to make you a new person on the inside. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. You can't even see it or know what it is. And as the people of God, we must be very clear on this point. According to the Bible, we all come into the world tainted by sin and separated from God. Which means to enter into life with God. To enter into life with God, the life you were created to live, to live for God, the life you were designed to live, in order to enter into life that way, you need a fresh start, renouncing the life you used to live and committing to live life for Him. My friend Jim Anderson often suggests that one of the great problems in the church today is that there are so many people in our churches, so many people who claim to be Christians, who have never really been born again. They were socialized into the church, but they were never really converted to Jesus. At some point they agreed to try to be nice people, but they never became new people by the working of the Holy Spirit as they confessed Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives. If that's you here this morning, I need to warn you. Nobody comes to peace with God by trying harder to be good. The only way into life with God, the life you were created to live, is by acknowledging you can't get there on your own. Asking God in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake to forgive you and cleanse you and change you on the inside. It's really what it means to be born again. When Christians talk about being born again, being converted, being saved, they're talking about a real change affected by the Spirit of God deep inside of them. By the grace of God, just by the grace of God in Jesus, as they trust God to forgive them and do that work. Acknowledging God as God, asking for forgiveness in the name of Jesus, and believing the Spirit of God to change them and give them a new life in Him. But as we established last week, in addition to being born again, the Lord expects all of His followers to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we read together a few moments ago, all of them, say all of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So what are the intended effects of this great Holy Spirit cause? From Acts chapter 2, I believe you can discern at least three major and immediate consequences. Three major and immediate effects of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The first effect you find in Acts chapter 2 of being filled with the Holy Spirit is also certainly the most controversial. 
because it relates to this whole matter of speaking in tongues. As the, as the Bible plainly records, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, lest you imagine this to have been a one-time, once-upon-a-time historical event, the Bible also records in Acts chapter 10 that when the Holy Spirit came on all the people gathered together in Cornelius' house, the believers who were there knew the Holy Spirit had come upon them, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And again, in Acts chapter 19, when the Apostle Paul prays for a group of Ephesian Christians to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. In fact, the truth is, based on the Bible record, there is simply no disputing the fact that speaking in tongues was an absolutely normative New Testament practice. So normative, in fact, the Apostle Paul took a great deal of time in one of his letters to explain how to manage and administrate speaking in tongues in a church service. And at one point in that letter to the Christians in Corinth, he actually bragged to the tongues-crazy Corinthian Christians, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So the New Testament norm for followers of Jesus was that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and that they spoke or prayed in tongues. So what's the point? What's the point of the gift of tongues? Well, it appears that the primary benefit of the gift of tongues is that it enables you to pray more effectively. Specifically, that it enables you to pray in ways and about things beyond your normal understanding. To the Christians in Rome, the Apostle Paul explained it this way, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. He goes into a bit more detail with this, writing to the Christians in Corinth, where he writes, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. In other words, when you pray in tongues, you very likely don't know what you're saying. You typically don't understand what it means. And so Paul continues, what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. For what it's worth, I pray in tongues a lot, and I am grateful for the ability to do so. I have three different groups of, uh, of people, uh, younger people I meet with every week. One of those groups, one of those micro groups, this week we talked about last week's message, and I urge them to take advantage of this good gift of the Holy Spirit and to make a point to pray in the Spirit often. I don't always know what I ought to pray for, but that's never the case with the Holy Spirit. So even when I'm completely flummoxed, even when I'm completely stumped, I can still pray effectively because I can pray in the Spirit. It's one of the great benefits 
It's one of the great effects or consequences of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, on a separate note, there is another uh, operation of speaking speaking in tongues that's meant for a more public kind of a setting, and that's bringing a message in tongues in a, a public setting like a church service. When the gift of tongues is used in that way, a person speaks out a message of tongues in a public setting, somebody always needs to interpret it. Because that operation of the gift of tongues is very similar to the gift of prophecy. It's bringing a message from the Lord, and everybody there needs to know what it means. But one of the effects, according to Acts chapter 2, of being filled with the Holy Spirit is the ability to speak or pray in tongues. A second major effect of being filled with the Holy Spirit is boldness. In fact, when I was younger, the pastor of the church I attended at the time taught that boldness is the real initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I suspect he taught that because, honestly, he did not want to deal with the issue of tongues. But he was nevertheless right that boldness is a clear effect of the coming of the Holy Spirit based on the testimony of Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit came on those very first followers of Jesus, they immediately began to share the gospel with incredible boldness, proclaiming and producing the kingdom of God in a Holy Spirit-inspired show and tell. So when the Holy Spirit came on the Pentecost, the Bible says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Now you may remember from last week that when these events were unfolding, Jerusalem was cram-packed with people from all over the world. And Peter and the other disciples stood together sharing the gospel with them. And let's be clear, Peter's sharing was bold. He boldly declared that Jesus Christ is Lord. He boldly declared that Jesus had risen from the dead. And he boldly pointed out that many of the people in that very crowd had actually consented to the crucifixion of Jesus. In fact, he boldly concluded the first part of his message by saying, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. His sharing was so bold, in fact, the Bible says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I want you to consider for a moment the effect of the coming of the Holy Spirit on Peter. Peter, who on the night of Jesus' arrest had cowered before a servant girl and three times denied even knowing the Lord. Peter, who after Jesus' crucifixion had locked himself away in a room and hid along with the other followers of Jesus. And yet, just a few weeks later, that very same Peter stood in front of an enormous crowd of people and boldly sharing the good news of Jesus. Without a doubt, one of the effects of being filled with the Holy Spirit is a radically increased boldness and a willingness to tell others about the Lord. When a person is filled with the Spirit of God, there's no room left inside them for fear or timidity. Finally, a third major effect 
of being filled with the Holy Spirit based on Acts chapter 2 is a life lived in Christian community. A life connected to Jesus and connected to the people of Jesus. And so after these first Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I strongly encourage you to take some time. I, I, I beg you to take some time this week and read through and meditate on this passage of Scripture. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Because this is the Bible description of the lifestyle of the very first followers of Jesus. Let me say it again. This is the Bible description of the way of life of the very first followers of Jesus. Once they were born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, every aspect of their lives changed. Once they were born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, every aspect of their lives was rearranged around God and the purposes of God. Remember that pie I showed you a while back? Where God's not just at the top of a list of priorities in your life. And God's not just another piece in the great pie chart of how you live. But where God is the whole pie. And everything else in your life starts and leads back to God. Where everything else in your life is rooted and grounded in God. Where everything you think and do in your life, you think and do for the glory and pleasure of God. That's how the very first followers of Jesus lived. And that sort of radical rearrangement of every aspect of your life, of your focus and your priorities and your values, of how you spend your time and how you spend your money, where you give your attention, where you give your affection. That Christ-centered, kingdom-focused lifestyle is meant to be the main effect of being filled with the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit of God fills your life, He pushes lesser things to the periphery. As the Spirit of God fills your life, then God and the things of God begin to consume and dominate your thoughts. <clears throat> you begin to rearrange and reorder your life around them. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you begin to think kingdom thoughts. You begin to pursue kingdom ends. You make sure you employ kingdom means. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you begin to live kingdom culture 
you change. Everything about you begins to change. What you care about begins to change. What you think about begins to change. What you want and wish and dream about begins to change. Coming to church is no longer a chore. Coming to church is coming home. Gathering together with Christians throughout the week in small groups and micro groups is not an interruption to your life. It is your life. It is your lifestyle gathering together with the people of God. It's not a duty. It's a delight. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you begin to live out the kingdom culture of God, the Bible isn't just a crusty old book. It's life and hope and healing for your soul. Tithing isn't sacrificing your hard-earned money. It's sowing into the advancement of the kingdom of God. Sharing your faith isn't weird and scary. It's the most natural thing in the world. And if all of that sounds strange to you, you might not be filled with the Spirit of God. You may very well be saved, and you may very well have been filled at some point in your past. But as I pointed out last week, the question isn't, were you filled with the Holy Spirit at some point in your history? But rather, are you filled right now with the living Spirit of the living God? The question is not, does the Spirit of God dwell somewhere deep down inside of you? But rather, does the Spirit of God have absolute control of every part of you? Does your life show the effects of being filled with the Holy Spirit? When these very first followers of Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit, it affected everything about them. And the Bible says they devoted themselves. You might imagine it's going to say they devoted themselves to God. But the truth is that part was a given. They were born again when they devoted themselves to God. They were filled with the Holy Spirit when they devoted themselves to God. What so many people miss is that when you really devote yourself to God, you also devote yourself to the things God loves. And among other things, God loves the church. So after devoting themselves to God and being born again and filled with the Spirit of God, one key effect of being filled with the Holy Spirit for the very first followers of Jesus was that they also devoted themselves to the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. In other words, as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, they completely gave themselves over to the teaching and the people and the structures of the church. They devoted themselves, for instance, to the apostles' teaching, which you and I have today in the New Testament. So one effect of being filled with the Holy Spirit is a deep and abiding commitment to the teaching of the Word of God. A dedication to the proposition that the Bible is the Word of God and that what it teaches is true and binding. It also says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Not to fellowship in general as a general activity, but to the fellowship, to the koinonia. In other words, they devoted themselves to the membership, to the fellowship of believers in the local community of saints. 
Because church, for the very first followers of Jesus, was not a building, and it was not a weekly meeting. It was the community. It was the family. It was the people of God to whom you were deeply and inextricably connected. It was the people with whom you shared your life, and the people with whom you shared your possessions. So much so, in fact, that the Bible says selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. When they became filled with the Holy Spirit, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the local church and the people within the local church. Every day. Say every day. Every day. They continued to meet together. They met together in the temple courts. They met together and broke bread in homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They met in large group gatherings like this. They met in small group gatherings in houses. They shared the good and the bad of life together, and they made a difference in the world around them because everything about them was reorganized and changed. When you look at these very first followers of Jesus, you find they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the infilling of the Holy Spirit had real-world consequences in their lives, real effect in their lives. They used the Holy Spirit's gift of tongues to pray in the Spirit as a way of elevating and advancing and deepening their prayer lives. They were bold in sharing the good news of Jesus, showing and telling the good news of Jesus, declaring and demonstrating the kingdom of God. And they devoted themselves to one another, living and loving and growing together in the connected community of the church. And the whole reason we're looking at these guys, the whole reason we're looking at them through this study is to learn what Jesus wants from us. May we be as they were, the people of God in this world. Let's pray. Father, again, as always, we thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. Lord, we acknowledge on the authority of your word, we need to be born again, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. And for all of us here who have been born again, who have received new life in Jesus, we need moment by moment, day by day, to be filled and led and empowered by the Spirit of the living God. And we need, we want, we desire, Lord, we sang this morning, we want you, we want you. We want to live out the effects of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the good gifts of your Spirit. We want to take advantage of them and use them for the advancement of your kingdom. Make us bold to show and tell Jesus in the world. And knit us together... Give us grace and courage to rearrange and reorder our lives around you and your purposes. Make us kingdom people who live out kingdom culture. Connect us together. May we share our resources. May we share our time. May we share our lives with one another as we love and live and grow together and make a difference in the world for Jesus. Make us that people 
we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.